1: On April 13, 2013, a devastating crime sent shockwaves through the picturesque valley of Yakima, nestled in the central part of Washington State. Desiree Sunford, a beloved art teacher, had been found murdered in her own home. As the investigation unfolded, secrets emerged, casting suspicions on those closest to her. But just when the case seemed to have reached a dead end, A remarkable turn of events unfolded, a startling tip revealing a suspect that had completely flown under the radar. Join me now as we embark on a journey into the tragic murder of Desiree Sunford, a vibrant, adventurous young woman adored by her students. You'll hear the story of a complicated love triangle where jealousy, betrayal, and loyalty took a deadly turn. On April 2nd, 2013, Desiree Sunford and her husband Scott had come home to discover a disturbing realization. Their home in Yakima, Washington had been broken into while they were out. The thief had smashed through a window pane on the back door and had ransacked the place, scattering their cherished possessions about, taking whatever they wanted, including a firearm and laptop. The violation was particularly devastating for the couple because this home had a special significance. It was their first. They'd just purchased it six months earlier together. Determined to find out who the culprit was, Scott notified police, but they weren't able to do much about it. So Scott began doing some digging of his own. First, he learned that a neighbor had spotted a truck driving around the area at the time of the break-in. Next, Scott went around to several pawn shops to see if their belongings had been pawned off, but got mostly stonewalled by employees, refusing to give up any information. Although the break-in had left Scott and Desiree shocked and feeling violated, Scott wasn't one to scare very easily. He'd served in the National Guard for 13 years, including two tours in Iraq, before being discharged due to an injury. Through it all, His high school sweetheart, Desiree, Desi to family and friends, had stuck by his side. Desiree and Scott married 10 years earlier, back in 2003, when they were in their early 20s. While Scott devoted himself to a life of military service, Desiree's deep passion for art led her down a different path, earning a bachelor's and master's degree before becoming a middle school teacher. It's there where Desiree shone the brightest, nurturing and inspiring the creative minds of young children. During her teenage years, Desiree developed a love for cars and devoted herself to restoring a 1969 Chevelle. Later, this became a shared interest with Scott, and the couple started attending car shows together in the summertime, displaying Desi Chevelle. Over time, their vehicle enthusiasm expanded to motorcycles, and Desi eventually bought herself a Harley with her and Scott later joining the Combat Veterans United Motorcycle Organization. For close to 20 years, the young couple had been virtually inseparable, and here they were now, the proud owners of their very first home together. Following the burglary, Scott and Desiree were determined not to let fear dictate their lives and decided to invest in a home security system, hopefully preventing future break-ins. They wanted to take their time familiarizing themselves with the new system before fully activating it, realizing it would take some time adjusting to new daily routines, like activating and disarming the alarm, dealing with the occasional false alarm, fine-tuning the sensitivity on the sensors, and adjusting the direction the cameras were pointed. As a temporary measure, they decided to have their security alerts sent directly to their cell phones. Instead of alerting the security company or law enforcement, little did they realize this decision would turn out to have devastating consequences. Just a few days after the security system was installed on the morning of April 6th, Scott found himself facing a somber obligation. He had to set out on a two hour drive to the Tri Cities in southern Washington to attend his aunt's funeral. After the service, he called his wife to tell her the family was planning on having a breakfast get-together the following morning and he'd be home the next day. In the early morning hours, at precisely 3.24 a.m., Scott was startled awake by a notification on his cell phone. The home alarm had just been triggered, probably just another false alarm, he thought. Just three minutes later, at 3.27, he received another alert and yet again at 328 he assumed desiree must have been letting the dog out and went back to sleep after spending the following day with family scott started his drive back to yakima around 730 the next morning along the way he tried calling desiree but she didn't answer after trying her a few more times with still no answer panic began to set in suddenly Scott remembered the three alarm notifications he'd gotten the night before—the ones he thought were false alarms. That's when he pulled over to the side of the road and dialed nine one one.
2: Sheriff's office. Hi, ma'am. Um, this is Scott Sunford. I was robbed last weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, I live at three Saint Hilaire. Anyways, uh, after the robbery, I had an ADT alarm system installed. And they put it on a one-week trial period where if anything went off, nobody would respond. And, okay. And uh, today at 324, 327, and 328, I had three census trips. And I've been out of town with family for a funeral. My wife was home. and I Okay. Did
3: somebody there. break into the residence?
2: I don't know. I've been out of town. I'm just on my way back. And I haven't been able to get a hold of the wife. So I was just hoping somebody can come meet me out there. It's probably nothing, but I would feel
1: better. About 20 minutes after making the call, Scott pulled into his driveway, but there was no sign of the police he requested. From the outside, he could see the back door had been broken in, the same door burglars had smashed before. Scott called police again and begged them to
2: hurry. I just got home and the board that I have over my back door has been broken, so somebody has forced their way in again and I still haven't heard back from my wife. I need an officer here now. All right, we'll get someone out there. I'm not going to go in or touch anything, but I'm here. I'm in the car, and I got a spotlight on the door.
1: When police arrived at the scene, they found Scott standing outside the house, waiting with a sidearm drawn and a flashlight pointed toward the house. Police wondered why Scott A six-foot-four, 230-pound former soldier was standing outside if he thought his wife was in danger. But they'd have to save those questions for later. As police moved past Scott and made their way inside the pitch-black home, they initially found no signs of a disturbance. That's until they entered the master bedroom and switched on the light. There, they found bullet casings scattered about and a single bloody shoe print. Their attention then turned to an even more devastating sight, Desiree Sunford's lifeless body laying on the floor. She'd been shot nine times, and it was evident she had made a desperate attempt to crawl away from whoever had shot her. As officers began processing the crime scene, they delivered the heartbreaking news to Scott that his wife had been brutally murdered. Although his reaction appeared devoid of any visible emotion, detectives weren't about to jump to any conclusions. After bringing Scott down to the Yakima Sheriff's office, he calmly recounted the sequence of events leading up to the discovery of his wife's body, his trip, the phone notifications, and arriving back at the house. Initially, detectives were taken back by Scott's tone, which appeared stone cold and casual. Not only had he not shown any visible signs of grief up until that point, he hadn't asked how his wife had been murdered. In their eyes, he was quickly becoming their number one suspect. So you talked to her yesterday
4: evening for about seven minutes, and did she indicate that anything was wrong or
2: everything seemed okay? That no, time? it's fine. I mean, obviously it's just a short, mess, or short phone call. It was only seven minutes, but... Uh, Yeah, it was just a quick, uh, hi, yeah, it looks like I'm going to stay, it's it's going kind of long, love you, talk to you soon, see you tomorrow, you know. Then you stayed at your dad's in Kennewick? Uh, no, I actually stayed with a friend.
1: The friend Scott was referring to was Paige Blades, a mutual friend of his and Desiree's. He said he'd gone to her house to show her a guitar and give her a lesson. Given the time he arrived, which was well after midnight, it seemed odd. Naturally, the detective began wondering if Scott's midnight trip to visit Paige may have been for other reasons.
4: Did uh, Desiree know that you were going to Paige's?
2: I don't know, honestly. Do it's not something you were discussed with her? No. No, Paige would come stay with us, we'd stay with her...
4: Was it uh,
2: just a platonic friendship or were you?
4: Did you, did you have well, a sexual relationship with Paige?
2: You know, I shouldn't go there because it's kind of rude. But, uh, well, Des didn't want me to say anything to anybody, but she kind of had uh, mixed feelings. And if I'll do anything, but that's one thing I can't provide for. So at one point, her and Paige had a. A little thing going for a while there, a little experiment. Okay, so it was so <laughs> it was Desiree
4: and Paige. You had a sexual relationship. Yeah, and but not you and Paige or we all did. Sometimes you and Paige too. Honestly, we all did. Okay, so you don't think it, it would probably would not have bothered Desiree to know that you were going to stay with Paige?
2: No, and honestly, we didn't even do anything. I was out on the couch, anyways, because it's kind of one of those things where. As long as we're going to do anything, we need to make sure we all are fine with doing anything. So, So everybody stays informed. So if there's no information or no previous arrangements made, nothing happens. Avoid hard feelings. So it sounds like you and
4: Desiree have a pretty open relationship. As long as the community Generally, applies. no.
2: Or, no? Generally, no. Just with her. Just with her. There was a special relationship with Paige? Yeah.
1: Okay. According to Scott, he was involved in a mutually agreed-upon three-way relationship with Desiree and Paige. But on the night in question, Scott claimed he'd spent the night on the couch because he hadn't gotten Desiree's approval beforehand. The detective listening to the surprising revelation took it in stride and continued peeling back the layers of Scott's personal life, asking about his time in the service. You did two
4: tours in combat areas? Yeah. Sure. Okay. What, what areas of the world were you in?
2: Um, Iraq, Germany, uh, Kuwait, that's about it.
4: Was all the combat in Iraq? Yeah. Did you see any direct combat? Yeah. Yeah. Did you suffer injuries in combat?
2: Um, I got blown up a few times, but nothing really. Well, I got shot too, but I was wearing body armor. So it didn't cause any injuries. Shot and blown up. So you were really in the combat? You were close to the front line? Well, I mean, when you stop and think about it in the grand scheme of things, not really.
1: Given Scott's stature and military training, the detective wondered why Scott hadn't entered the house if he thought his wife could be in danger.
4: Well, I'm just thinking, you're a, you're a big guy, you're what, 6'4"? Somewhere up there. 6'4", 250, you've, you've got a firearm on you, you've been in combat, I mean, you've done some serious shit that most people will never do. Um, so if anyone's going to be willing to go charging in the house and
2: make sure their wife's okay, it would seem to me that it would be you. Well, it's not that I was afraid of anybody being in there. Yeah, you know, I'll take on a hundred people for her, that's fine. Yeah. that wasn't the concern, it was her. You just don't want to see what may have happened to her. Yeah. What did you think you might see if you went inside? roll around a thousand of the worst things you could think of the only reason I would have been forced to go in there the only reason I could talk myself into it was the fear that she still needed me in there you know what I mean Mm -hmm. because if she's if she was in there and she was hurt and uh, scared or restrained and I was sitting outside just idly waiting while she's in there going through that alone that would have killed me.
1: While it was reasonable why Scott might have wanted to avoid seeing the gruesome scene inside his home, what didn't seem to make sense to the detectives was how he already seemed to have prior knowledge that his wife was beyond saving. Toward the end of the interview, the detective steered the conversation back to Paige Blades. Scott told him, that Paige once lived with him and Desiree to escape a possessive ex-boyfriend named Dylan, a man who drove a truck similar to the one his neighbors had seen in the area, the night of the first break-in at his house. Scott suspected Dylan had been the one who robbed them, and since it appeared that whoever killed Desiree had entered the same broken back entrance, it left open the possibility that the same person might have been responsible for both crimes. Before wrapping up the interview, Scott willingly agreed to provide oral DNA samples to be tested against any potential evidence found at the crime scene. After speaking with Scott, detectives knew they needed to look more into the nature of Paige and the couple's relationship. They also needed to speak with Paige to corroborate Scott's story. Once they tracked her down, Paige confirmed Scott had spent the night at her place. But there was one glaring difference between her story and Scott's. According to Paige, Scott hadn't driven all the way to see her just to sleep on the couch. He'd slept right next to her. What may have seemed like a small discrepancy meant something different to the detective. Was there more to this relationship that met the eye? But no matter how many other questions Paige was asked, her and Scott's stories were identical on every other little detail. So striking in similarity, investigators point-blank asked Paige if they'd rehearsed their stories ahead of time. By this point, Paige was now also becoming a prime suspect right alongside Scott. When investigators started looking into Desiree's text messages, Doubts began to seep in whether Desiree was a willing participant in the three-way relationship Scott described. A year earlier, Desiree had confronted Paige about her close relationship with Scott, but Paige denied anything going on. Even still, Desiree remained suspicious. Later, Paige sent a chilling text message to Desiree that read, If you ever die and he needs a wife... I'm half convinced that would be me. During their investigation, detectives also learned another piece of startling news. Paige had become pregnant a short time before Desiree's murder, and that she assumed Scott was the father. All this new information only intensified detectives' beliefs that Scott and Paige had somehow been involved in Desiree's murder, but they had no way to prove it. In fact, all the evidence pointed in the opposite direction, with phone records indicating that both Scott and Paige were two hours away from the crime scene, the morning of the murder. After obtaining a search warrant, police searched Scott's home, collecting his boots to compare against the bloody footprint found in the master bedroom, but none of them matched. They also found no suspicious DNA belonging to Scott There was simply no way to place either of them at the crime scene. With nothing more to go on, the case eventually went cold, remaining unsolved for over a year, until police received a tip that would open it wide up again. In 2014, a year after the trail went cold, Police received an anonymous tip from someone claiming to know vital information about the art teacher's murder, including the identity of the supposed killer, a man named Marty Grismer. It was a name detectives hadn't encountered before in their investigation, but a quick background check revealed a mostly clean record for the new suspect. But because the tipster gave information about the crime that hadn't been released the tip became a crucial lead. When police eventually learned the identity of the tipster, they couldn't help but be surprised. It was Paige Blades. Eager to hear what she had to say, detectives asked her to come down to the station.
4: Obviously, the big reason that I wanted to talk to you face to face was that um, we got a Crime Stoppers tip um, from you with some new information about the shooting. Yep. Um, Did a little research based on the information that you sent us and um, found a picture of Marty Grismer. Is that the gentleman that we're talking about? (laughs) Yes. Okay. Um, (laughs) Okay.
1: When the detective slid a picture of Marty Grismer across the desk over to Paige, she broke down in tears. 27-year-old Marty Grismer was Paige's best friend and co-worker. They'd gone on a couple dates together in the past, exchanged a few loot photos, but that had been the extent of it, at least from Paige's perspective. Marty, on the other hand, had become obsessed with her and took care of her financially and was willing to do practically anything for her.
4: He was okay being your friend and just wanted as a friend, wanted to make sure that you were happy.
5: taken care of And that no one bothered you? He's the one that got me the house. He bought my car outright, cash. Um, I still haven't paid him back for it. He pays my insurance. He's done my grocery shopping. He's taken very well care of me.
1: Paige revealed that Marty had been supportive of her romantic relationships, including with the Sunfords. She claimed he'd even given her gas money for Scott's expenses to visit her the night before Desiree had been found murdered. In the year and a half since Desiree's murder, Paige had given birth to a baby, Marty had gotten married, and Scott had started dating someone new while still continuing to see Paige. So why had Paige suddenly decided to reach out to police? According to Paige, just a week before, Scott had been staying over at her place, but the night had been ruined when they started arguing about his new relationship. Feeling frustrated, Paige reached out to her trusted friend, Marty.
5: I told him what was going on, and... um He asked me if I wanted him to take care of this new woman like he did Des. And I asked him what he was talking about. The first time he came to see me, I was pregnant. We had just found out about three weeks before the shooting that I was pregnant. Marty was one of the first people that I told. And apparently he decided that If the baby was Scott's, like it was supposed to be, then Desiree would cause issues. Oh, my God.
4: So did you told Marty that Scott was the father of the baby?
5: Oh, Marty knew that Scott and I were together and Scott was the only one that I was seeing. And he's smart enough to put it together. He asked me for sure if it was Scott's, and I told him, yeah, because at the time I thought that was the case.
1: A paternity test would later reveal the baby had a different father, Paige's ex-Dylan. But by the time Paige finally learned that Scott wasn't the baby's biological father, it was far too late. Because according to Paige, Marty had already taken it upon himself to solve her problems for her and admitted to murdering Desiree. Well,
4: you were pregnant. Mm -hmm. At that time, you thought it was Scott's baby He believed it was Scott's baby. He thought that Desiree was gonna make problems for the two of you. And so he decided the best way to fix that problem was to eliminate her so that you could be happy. So that
5: we could move forward, yes.
4: how did he feel about Scott then? Because that's a strong emotional connection if you're willing to kill for someone, yet you weren't with him anymore, right? You guys dated for a short time.
5: Right, very, very briefly.
1: Paige claimed that Marty not only confessed to murdering Desiree, but explained in great detail exactly how he'd done it. On the night of the shooting, Paige said Marty came over and lent her 20 bucks to help pay for Scott's gas and then left after about 15 minutes.
5: So you already knew that Scott wasn't going to be home. What he told me on Wednesday was that he had gone home Gone to sleep for a couple of hours, and he got
1: up. Marty claimed he owned an unregistered and untraceable handgun, and before leaving his house, grabbed it, along with a magazine full of ammunition.
5: <sighs> he turned his phone off before he left the house, and he took 24 out the back way to Scott's
1: house. Having met through Paige, Marty had been over to the Sunfords before, and knew where they kept a spare key hidden.
5: I never told him where the key was hidden. But he said it took him probably 15 minutes to find it. He got the key. He went in the front door because he knew that that was the closest to the bedroom. The alarm was off when he opened the door. And Ada came out barking. Des came out right behind her and he shot her. He shot her three times. She went down. He shot her some more. I don't... I don't remember how many bullets he said. It was a full clip. He let her get, I don't know, 10 or 15 feet away. And he got closer to her as she was trying to crawl away. He wanted to make sure that she had an open casket funeral.
1: After murdering Desiree, Marty staged the home to look like there'd been a break-in diverting suspicion away from someone who might have actually had access to a house key.
5: He went to the back of the house and moved the board off the window that Scott had put up after the robbery. I think that he said that he exited the back door, walked out, walked back in to make it look like he had come through the back door because it was raining that night and he wanted to leave shoe prints. He put the key back in its hiding spot, went back inside again grabbed jewelry box off of her dresser,
4: and he left. So did Marty say what he did when he left?
5: He said he went home, started the fire in the burn barrel, burned all of the clothes, his shoes, his gloves, got in the shower, got ready for work, and he went to work.
1: According to Paige, Marty destroyed every piece of evidence that could link him to the crime. Everything, that is, except for two key items a jewelry box he'd stolen to make it look like a robbery, and most importantly, the gun. Paige claimed she had no idea what Marty had done with it, but said he kept the jewelry box as a way to prove to her he'd really done it. The detective now knew there was physical evidence that could link Marty to the crime, if only they could find them.
4: Did Scott have any idea? That Marty was going over there that
5: night? Not as far as I
4: know. And had had Marty made any comments that would make you think that he was gonna do something like that?
5: No, I know that he always talked about it. He always told me that if I ever had a problem, he would take care of
4: it. And I always
5: told him that it was
4: Had he offered to kill her before?
5: He's offered to kill her, he's offered to kill Dylan, Scott. It doesn't maybe if I have a bad day with a co-worker, he
4: always tells me there's always plan B. And so he's plan B. just up for killing anybody?
5: <laughs> Pretty much, uh, yeah.
1: The detectives also asked Paige if Marty had been the one who'd broken into the Sunfords earlier, the break-in that inspired them to install the security system. But Paige claimed it was just a coincidence. The detective knew it would be nearly impossible to prove Paige's claims unless they could find the gun or jewelry box. So the detective asked Paige if she would be willing to try a different approach.
4: If you initiated another conversation with him, do you think he would talk to you about it more?
5: I'm sure he would. He worships the ground I walk on. He's obsessed with
4: me. Is that something that you would consider?
5: That's all I could think about the last two days.
4: What if there was a situation where where we could put a wire on you, would you be willing to talk to him with a wire on?
1: Yeah. Paige agreed to wear a wire and meet up with Marty, hoping to catch another confession on tape. At a Starbucks, Paige set the bait while police listened nearby. Paige told Marty she'd been feeling anxious over what he'd admitted to her the week before, but Marty didn't take the bait, claiming he'd didn't know what she was talking about.
5: You said that there was no evidence, so I'm just wondering, for sure, for sure, if there's nothing
2: left. I don't
0: know what are talking about?
2: Hmm. I don't have anything. I've never done anything.
1: Without Marty's confession. It seemed like detectives were at a dead end once again. That's until a few months later, when detectives received yet another unexpected tip. This time, from Marty and Paige's employer, who'd apparently found some disturbing items in Marty's office. A bag of gun parts, including a barrel for a 9mm handgun, the same caliber used in Desiree's murder after marty was suspended without pay the manager called police in november 2014 it was time to bring marty in for questioning
4: like i told you we're investigating this shooting this homicide that happened last year and to be honest with you your name was never on our radar um you know we didn't have any reason to come and talk to you but then we got this uh Crime stoppers tip.
1: Marty agreed to speak with police without a lawyer, waiving his right to remain silent. Every detective's dream come true when interviewing a suspect. What's your relationship with Paige?
0: Uh, it's been complicated over the years. I mean, she was the best man at my wedding. So, I mean, she was my best friend for a while there. And then recently, you know, kind of, we kind of we had a fallen out over different things. On there. She was good that I got married to my wife and... Um, we were a babysitter for a while and my wife didn't want to be a babysitter anymore and she stopped talking to me for a month and a half and just kind of started cutting off contact and ties and all that. So. You said she was the best manager, right? Yes. Oh Yes. Okay. She was my best friend so I had to be my best man. Okay, alright. That's the first. Well she was pregnant with Philip at the time too, all so right. she was a pregnant okay. best man. Alright. So.
4: Were you two involved in a sexual relationship at one time?
0: Not exactly. No, we just fooled around a bit on the early on, but I think she was kind of just using this cover for hiding relationships with Scott and other things. So that ended very quickly.
4: So, not exactly. Just like you guys didn't have the intercourse, but you yes, had other things. Yes,
0: I, that's I exactly right. Okay. Um, and when was that going on? That was going on until about December of 2012. That was shortly after we met, November through December, we had a couple of encounters on there, and then after that, it would be, you know, give her a massage here and there, things like that, when she was dressed, that was pretty much it.
1: Detectives also wanted Marty's perspective on the nature of the relationship between Paige and Scott.
0: I I know that Paige has an unusual relationship with Scott on there, while I was kind of codependent. But I always thought that she kind of invested a lot of her emotional security in Scott. And that you know, cause she didn't talked about things on there. It's like she was obsessed with him being the anchor for her emotional happiness and things. But then again, I think that kind of faded over time. She kind of finally woke up. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if they're still together. Not because Paige and I have had kind of a falling out of the things. I mean, she's caused some problems between me and my wife and then me at work. So.
1: Marty admitted that months before Desiree's murder, he'd heard Paige encouraging Scott to get a divorce so they could be together. And the way Marty explained it, he didn't seem to think Desiree was on board with Scott and Paige's relationship as they'd been making it seem to police.
0: So I don't know how much Des knew about that or anyone knew about that because I just got the feeling they were kind of hiding and being together for a long time because I don't think they're he was, you know, in a position to end anything on me. I didn't want to find out. I don't. That was just the feeling I got. Okay.
1: So. Marty explained, it seems Scott and Paige had been keeping the extent of their relationship hidden from Desiree, confirming earlier suspicions after they'd gone through Desiree's text messages. He went on to say that although it was obvious to him, Paige wanted Desiree out of the picture, he hadn't heard her threaten any violence. The detectives then began asking Marty about the gun barrel found at his work. He claimed he'd been trying to sell some gun parts to make a bit of extra cash.
4: Do you recall who you traded it for or who
0: you bought it from? Um, I know I bought it from someone locally here. I just don't recall because I was just we swapping a whole bunch of parts on between different things. Then
4: so. you have no idea?
0: So about about when did you take possession of it? Uh, I think it was August or September of last year. It was
1: about the time I got married. Around the time he got married meant Marty was claiming he'd gotten the barrel after Desiree's murder. Is there
4: any chance that you got that barrel from Paige or Scott? It's possible but I again I
0: don't recall. I don't I've bought him some things gotten some things from Scott offhand, but I don't oh my god, you've gotten gun parts from Scott. Um, I asked him for ammunition, different things, only because he showed me the you know, guns that he had and ammunition on there. But again, I don't recall specifically on that. I don't recall if I got it from him or an acquaintance of his. So.
4: Could you have gotten it from Paige?
1: It's possible, but I don't think so. At this point, Marty's story was starting to sound a bit too convenient. He'd been caught with the barrel of a gun matching the caliber of Desiree's murder weapon. But he couldn't remember who or where he'd gotten it from, only that he was absolutely certain he'd gotten it months after Desiree had been killed, and deliberately left open the possibility that it may have been given or traded to him from Scott.
4: Did you ever offer to kill Desiree Sunford for Paige? No, I haven't. I've never offered to kill anyone for anything. It's not in my nature. Have you ever discussed killing her with Paige? No. Did she ever ask you to kill Desiree Sunford? No. Did Scott ever ask you to kill Desiree Sunford?
0: No one's ever asked me to kill anyone. I wouldn't. I've never thrown a punch an angle in my life I wouldn't kill anyone. It's not who I am.
4: Have you ever told Paige that you would take care of anyone for her or anyone that makes her mad you'd take them out
1: for her? No. I've never said that to her in I never would. When Marty flat out denied having any involvement with Desiree's murder, the detectives began revealing the cards they have been holding back the entire time, starting with Paige's accusations.
4: Well, the problem comes in, the difficulty for you is that Paige is saying that you are the one who shot and killed Desiree Sunford. She said that you confessed that to her. And she came in and gave a tape statement to that effect. Paige has put you smack in the middle of a murder investigation. Just trying to my life here. I mean, this would be a good way to go about it. Your life is about ready to change depending on the answers you're giving us. I know that. That's how serious this is.
0: I understand that because I haven't done anything wrong on the other night. She's trying to engineer, set me up here, do something I'm
1: saying to you that, um, that killed someone that makes me sick. After getting Marty riled up about being accused of Desiree's murder, it was now time to reveal the biggest bombshell the detectives had been holding back.
4: Where it gets even worse for you is this gun barrel that we've been talking about. That's the gun barrel that was in the gun that killed Desiree Sunford. I've already retrieved that gun barrel from basic American foods, and I've already had the ballistic analysis done on it. And the slugs that were pulled from Desiree's body came from that gun. How? Well, that's the big question.
1: The fact that police had already ballistically matched Marty's barrel to Desiree's murder completely stunned him. For nearly a minute, he sat in silence, trying to figure out what to say next. And then, perhaps predictably, his story completely changed. He now admitted to lying about how long he'd owned the barrel. And according to him, he'd let someone else borrow the gun around the same time of the murder, Paige. She had the gun.
0: She had that barrel on there. You loaned the gun to Paige? I loaned
1: the gun to her early last year. This was around February. She had it for a while. Although he said he loaned the gun to Paige, he apparently had no idea, at the time, why she wanted it. Detectives then began pressing Marty about the details from March 6, 2013, the evening before Desiree's murder. And again, Marty's account was very different from the one Paige gave detectives. According to Marty, Paige had borrowed his car around 10 that night and that he'd stayed home and gone to sleep. She got the colour and it was
0: back the next morning like she said, she had left the keys inside the dual and the screen door.
1: Detectives now began suspecting that the two of them had committed the murder together.
4: After everything you've done for her, after all the money, blood, sweat, tears, and love that you gave to her and she turned around and you over, maybe she if she drew you to driving her to Yakima in your rental car and didn't, you didn't know what was going to go bad, now's the time to tell us,
0: I wasn't there. I didn't go to Yakima. You gave
4: her the gun, you gave her the car, and she's saying that no, you did this, you did that.
1: Marty continued denying any involvement in the murder, but fully understood just how bad things were looking for him. Eventually, he claimed, he'd always believed Paige had been behind it all. She borrowed my gun, she borrowed the car on there,
0: she gave it back later. I didn't know if she'd killed anyone or not, but putting two to two together like a person on there, I had reasonable intelligence on I did figure that, hey, she'd probably done this on there.
4: When did you first make that connection in your mind?
0: After she gave the gun back and other things and details of the case started coming out on the news and things like that.
4: What kind of details
0: did you have? Just stuff in the news. Paige looking at articles. She'd look at it on her phone when I was around. Things like that. She looked at it a couple times since then. She would check on it periodically. I looked at it periodically a couple times myself. Just like, what's going on with this? Because, hey, it's the only person I ever knew that got murdered. That I actually haven't met in my life.
1: Marty was doing his best now to throw Paige under the bus. And on top of it all, was trying to explain... The reason he hadn't said anything earlier to police was because he was afraid of her.
0: Do you know what she's led me to believe about what she can do or what she could do? I mean, she's talked about the motorcycle gangs and the people that are her favors. She's given me lots of reasons over the entire time I've known her to not try to cross her on there. That's the only reason why I never came forward before on anything on there, was I didn't wanna die. I didn't want her to think that I'd given her up.
1: Detectives weren't buying Marty's story that he kept quiet for so long out of fear and eventually realized they weren't going to get much more information out of him. But before the interrogation had even begun, detectives already had enough probable cause to arrest Marty on murder charges after matching his gun barrel to the bullets that killed Desiree. Search warrants at both Marty's work and his father's home turned up even more incriminating evidence against him when a pair of Dr. Scholl's shoes were found matching the size and pattern of the footprint found at the crime scene. They also discovered a laptop that had been supposedly stolen during the first robbery. Most damning of all was when they found Desiree's jewelry box among Marty's things. It was smoking gun after smoking gun, Unless Marty could somehow prove that Paige and Scott had planted this mountain of evidence in order to try and frame him, it was looking more and more like a slam-dunk case for the prosecutors. But throughout it all, Marty maintained his innocence. Instead of taking his case to trial, Marty was offered a plea deal and entered an Alfred plea. After a cellmate gave up information, Indicating the real motive behind the crime.
4: Marty confessed to Jesse
2: Castillo uh, what the state believes was the real uh, motive, which was to frame Scott Sunford uh, for the murder of Desiree Sunford, because the evidence would have shown that Mr. Marty Krusman was obsessed uh, with Peach Ackerman.
1: Marty was sentenced to 15 years at sentencing. Desiree's mother, Connie Cast, delivered a heartbreaking statement.
5: People, they tell me they know how I feel. You have no idea how I feel. I don't want you to know how I feel. Because no one should have to deal with this type of pain.
1: Today, the Yakima County Sheriff's Office officially considers Desiree Sunford's case closed. But for many others, including members of Desiree's family, they still believe there's more to the story. For Desiree's mother, the absence of her daughter left a gaping hole in her heart, hand in hand with the continued mental anguish she continued to experience on a daily basis until she passed away in October of 2018. On her life tribute page those who cherished the memories of connie and desiree expressed the sentiment that both mother and daughter could finally find eternal peace and rest together and now i'd like to introduce the podcast morbidology
3: morbidology is a weekly true crime podcast hosted by me emily g thompson a freelance writer and author of five true crime books.
0: Oh my God, she was murdered. It was a murder.
3: Join me each week on Morbidology as I uncover a new true crime case using investigative research combined with primary audio.
1: Where is she, buddy? Where is she? The devil made
2: me turn her into ashes.
3: Morbidology is a victim-focused podcast that mostly covers cases that aren't widely documented, in mainstream media
2: I wanted to be out of jail I couldn't wait till I got out I was in there with someone who was clearly psychopathic
3: the episodes also take an in-depth look at any systemic failures which may have had a part to play in the crime
2: through our investigation we have attained evidence which we are not releasing at this time which leads us to believe Jolene is not alive
3: you can listen to Morbidology across all podcast platforms
1: Follow The Minds of Madness on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. To support the show and get access to ad-free episodes, extra content, and Patreon exclusive episodes, go to patreon.com slash madnesspod. To find us on Instagram and Facebook, search The Minds of Madness, and on Twitter using the handle at Pod. And also, By checking out our sponsors and using our promo codes, you're also helping support the show. We've got all the links in our episode notes. So until next week, thanks for listening.